John chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word and we pray, Lord, that sometime today we'll be able to find that clip, as small as it may be. Um, we just pray, Lord, that you will bless the services um, and that um, the preaching of your word will bring clarity to our thoughts, to our thinking about what your word teaches. And if there was anyone that didn't know you as your Savior, that um, your spirit would bring conviction. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the Bible here says that the world was made by him. That the worlds, the other pastors talk about the worlds were made by him, all the different planets, but that they were made by Jesus Christ himself. And we talked about that a little bit last time just before we went on vacation, so we're not going to go all the way back into that, but just it's a clear passage. That Jesus is the creator. That he is God. But we've seen in that he came into the world. The world that he created. That he came into it. He came unto his own and they receive him not. You know, people will sometimes talk about today that if... That um, if Jesus would just come back and show himself, then they would believe. Oh, when Jesus was here, even though he rose again, they would not believe. Just as Abraham told the rich man that was in hell, um, I said, you know what, there's a great gulf between us. No, we can't go there, you can't come when you're here. And then, and, he and then the rich man says, you know, what one my um, um, let me go back, or let Lazarus go back and tell my brothers that they may believe. And, and then Abraham, Abraham said, they have the prophets. They have the word of God. It's basically what he's saying. If they won't believe then, then neither will they believe the one raised from the dead. And how many have still rejected the gospel even after proof of Jesus resurrecting? But today you're going to be focusing on verses 12 and 13. It says, but as many as receive him. So not everybody rejected him. Now when you look at the world as a whole, they did. But not everybody did. And he says, but as many as receive him. To them... Gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
And it goes on, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're going to be talking about the apparent theological dichotomy of verses 11, I mean 12, and 13. You know, you read in verse 12, and to some it's seen as, okay, we receive him, and then we become the power to receive, become the sons of God. Then there are others that will focus on verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, to teach that man does not have a will in regards to his salvation. That is all just predestined on who's going to go to heaven, who's going to go to hell, and there's nothing we could do to alter our destiny. And what it boils down to is what comes first? Regeneration or faith? Does man even have a choice in regards to getting saved? We'll get back to that, but let's define some terms. To regenerate, regeneration. Uh, um, first, generate. The word generate means to create, to produce, birth. You know, when we talk about genealogies or um, generation. Now we're talking about generation. You know that people were born. That people were created. To regenerate is to be, have a renewal or to be born again. And as Jesus told Nicodemus, Except ye born again, ye shall not enter the kingdom of God. That ye must be born again first. That there must be a spiritual birth. Go ahead and turn you Titus chapter 3. Titus 3. <laughs> Titus 3 and verse 4. It says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so here the Bible talks about the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Ghost. Um, and in this passage, <clears throat> we see that regeneration is not by works of righteousness which we have done. No one can say, I've done these many works, therefore I have regenerated myself. Man cannot cause himself to be born again in that sense. He cannot create the new birth. Regeneration, being born again, is entirely a work of God. In 1 Peter 1.3 and Ephesians 2.5, we see that God the Father is at work in the regeneration of us. John 3.1-8, we see that the Holy Ghost is mentioned is being what causes us to be born again. 1 Peter 1, 3 and Ephesians 2, 5, 
also show that Jesus is involved in the work of redemption that causes us to be born again. In the Word of God, in James 1.18, 1 Peter 1.23, and John 5.24, that is the Word of God, um, the incorruptible seed whereby we are born again. Man cannot create eternal life. He is incapable of regenerating himself. And so, but then the question again comes, what comes first, faith or regeneration? Okay, now man again cannot create eternal life. He is incapable of regenerating himself. So some, with that fact, assume that regeneration must come first. Wayne Grudem, a Reformed theologian of that view, says, It is natural to understand that regeneration comes before saving faith. It is, in fact, this work of God that gives us the spiritual ability to respond to God in faith. So his view is, God makes someone born again so they could have faith. But this does not make any scriptural sense. How can one be regenerated, be made alive, while at the same time not having saving faith in Christ? You know, you can't have them separate like that. You know, otherwise you got someone that's born again and they have not yet had Christ in their life yet. So it does not work. John 1.13 is the verse that they'll focus on the most to teach that you are born um, of God before having faith by saying, which we're born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so they'll say, see, it's not by the will of the flesh. It is not by the will of man that man can be born again. And they put an emphasis, they focus on this verse. And we're able to focus on all verses, not just one verse. But even looking at this verse, looking at it from a scriptural um, viewpoint. Okay, yes, we, we wish we're born not of blood. Okay, how are people born naturally? Okay, you know, I talked about the water grace, talks about they're born of blood. It's talking about ancestry. You know what, about generation, that human generation. You know, like Jesus just later on talks to Nicodemus and says, Except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. So not under the kingdom of God. And then he's, um, and then, and then Nicodemus is like, how do I go back again into my mother's womb? How do I go and be born again? And Jesus points out, he goes, no, that which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. That this is a different kind of birth. That this is a spiritual birth, not of blood. So often the Jews would think, the Pharisees in particular, and the Sadducees, they would think that they had prestige because they were of Abraham's seed. And yes, we know God because Abraham's our father. And here the Bible is saying, no, being born again is not based on blood. It's not based on your ancestors. It's not based on being the seed of Abraham. John the Baptist preached repentance to Israel and said, God, could it be stones make children of Abraham? He does not need 
Abraham's seed in that sense to be for people to be born again. That we are not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That's human passion or personal reformation. That, you know, if someone doesn't simply reform their life to be born again. One doesn't quit doing different sins to be born again. It's not the will of the flesh or the will of man. And this one the Calvinists will often hold to is saying not the will of man or the will of the flesh. But this is simply speaking about, okay, we see he's comparing human generation with spiritual regeneration. And he's saying that, okay, not of blood, not the will of the flesh, that it's not fleshly birth, nor of the will of man. That salvation cannot be imparted unto one by the will of another man. Man, I want all of my children to get saved. But I cannot use my will to adopt them into the family of God. It's a personal decision they have to make. The will of another man cannot bring regeneration to another. And so this passage is not saying that man does not have a choice on being saved. It's saying that to be regenerated, that man cannot impart that to man. Not through blood, through will of the flesh, the will of man. It's saying it's not like human generation. It is spiritual. As Jesus again said to Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Salvation is not by a natural birth. It's not of a bloodline, a certain ancestry. It's not by descent from Abraham or any other. It's not by being born through Ishmael. Um, it's Islam follows. They are reborn, but not with a physical birth resulting from human passion of a man and a woman. It's not of their will or plan. Salvation is a supernatural new birth that can only be accomplished by God. When we read verse 12, we go back to John in verse 12. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He tells them, as many as receive him, to them, they got power. It wasn't they have power to become the sons of God so they can believe. No, they received Christ and they, had, they were given the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Again, man is incapable of giving himself eternal life. Only God can regenerate man. Now, if you are an employee of a company, typically, okay, you cannot promote yourself. Okay, you're an employee somewhere. You can't go, I'm just going to give myself a raise. I'm just going to promote myself. That is in the power of the employer, not of the employee. But let's say your employer gives you specific tasks and tells you to do them well and he'll promote you. 
Therefore you work diligently, and since you did as your employer asked, he promotes you. You did not have power to promote yourself, but he did. Okay? God has told us how we may have eternal life. It's not by our works. Okay? It's not by getting baptized, not by going to church, it's not by doing good deeds. But he tells us that we need to believe on Jesus Christ. So you place your faith in Jesus Christ, but it is God that gives you eternal life. He is the one that regenerates us. He is the one doing the work. Yes, we are responsible to believe the gospel. But again, we don't give ourselves eternal life. It's when we believe, He regenerates us. That He causes us to be born again. It's not a work which we've been able to do. We simply believe by faith. Again, Wayne Grudem, though, he says this. The idea that regeneration comes before saving faith is not always understood by evangelicals today. Sometimes people will even say something like, if you believe in Christ as your Savior, then after you believe, you will be born again. Quote, end quote. But, and then he goes on and says, but Scripture itself never says anything like that. This new birth is viewed by Scripture as something that God does within us in order to enable us to believe. And so here he just plain out says, some people, some Christians believe, if you believe in Christ as your Savior, then you will be born again. And he says the Bible does not teach this. I don't know what Bible he's using because... Over and over throughout the Bible, it teaches that you must believe to be born again. But Wayne Grudem and the five-point Calvinist will also say that regeneration again has to happen first because a dead man can't believe anything unless God first regenerates them. A.W. Pink, a noted Calvinist, he wrote, Faith is not the cause of the new birth, but the consequence of it. This ought not to need arguing. Faith is a spiritual grace, the fruit of the spiritual nature, and because the unregenerate are spiritually dead, dead in trespasses and sins, then it follows that faith from them is impossible, for a dead man cannot believe anything. And so his argument is that man has to be born again in order to have faith because the dead man cannot believe anything. Now before I go on, let me be clear. Okay, the Bible talks about Jesus says, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The Bible talks about how the Spirit of God will reprove the world. You know what? We can only be saved because the Spirit of God works in our life. That the Spirit of God draws us. However, we are not born again until the gospel is believed. We, yes, we love him because he first loved us. That God chose to die for us in the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't have to. Well, let's get to this thinking of A.W. Pink. That he says, since a dead man can't believe, or he says, because we're dead in trespasses and sins, then the lost cannot believe the gospel even if they wanted to. And so his theory is that God has just, when he created the world, 
for his glory, he created these people, man, they're going to go to heaven. These people, they're going to go to hell for my glory. It's what their view, um, viewpoint is. And so, the dead, they can't believe the gospel. But those that God makes born again, they can believe the gospel is what they argue. But, you know, this kind of thinking is inconsistent with itself and it's illogical. Because a dead man cannot reject the gospel either. A dead man can't sin. And so they, well, often you'll see in the debate, Calvinism, Arminianism, and Biblicalism, okay? You have all these isms, okay? We're not Arminian, okay? We cannot lose our salvation. We are secure in Christ. We are preserved in Christ. And we're not Calvinists either. Okay, a dead man wouldn't be able to sin. A dead man wouldn't be able to reject the gospel. And so how can regeneration come before faith? That's the equivalent of saying that one can be born again without yet having placed their faith in Christ. Another verse that Calvinists will use is John 3, 3, um, to prove that regeneration comes before faith. But it says nothing of that effect. It simply says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's true. You know, unless someone's born again, unless they're saved, they will not see the kingdom of God. And then you read on. You read on through John, all the way verse 18, or all the way through the end of the chapter. It tells us what must happen before God regenerates us. What's John 3.16 say? God so loved us, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He tells us, he tells Nicodemus how to be born again. Yes, Nicodemus can't make himself be born again, but he can follow Christ's command, believe the gospel, and then God causes him to be born again. To be renewed, to be born again, not reform, but to be born again. Ephesians 1.13, go ahead and turn there. Okay, we're going to look at several different scriptures because we don't want to just take one scripture and bend it towards our viewpoint. But let the word of God bend our viewpoint. Ephesians 1. In verse 13. It says, In whom ye also trusted... After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Right there, you heard the word. You believe. And then when you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It wasn't the Spirit of God redeem or born again certain ones of God's elect, and then they're able to believe. No, it says, after we believe, then are we sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Go ahead and turn you first, John. First John 5. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that love of him that begat, love of him also that is begotten of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And in, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcome of the world, and this is the victory that overcome of the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcome of the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. There's belief. There is faith. And then God causes us to be born again because of our faith. Go ahead, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 in verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith. It doesn't say you're justified so you can have faith. No, it says we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so that we have access by faith into God's grace. Yeah, we're able to be saved. The explanation of the gospel message in Scripture does not say ever, anywhere, when you are born again, then you'll be able to believe. That's not the message Jesus told us. Go out into all the world, and when you are born again, you will believe in me. That's not what the Bible says. That's not how the gospel is presented. It doesn't say, go... And once you're enlightened, once you're able to be born again, then you'll well, what you believe. It doesn't say if God regenerates you, then you'll be able to have faith. Nowhere does it say that. What it does say in Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a big difference. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And that's how you become a child of God. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, His resurrection. And then going back, going back to John 1. It's what it says, But as many as receive Him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's what it says. It does not say that I'm going to make you sons of God so you could believe the gospel. No. Jesus said unto the woman that washed his feet, Thy faith have saved thee. Didn't say, I save you so you could have faith in me. He said unto the blind man, Receive thy sight, thy faith have saved thee. Luke 18 42. Didn't say, I save you so you could have sight. She said, Ye must be born again. God regenerates us when we believe on Christ. But a Calvinist will still ask the question, does man have a choice to be saved? And they'll say no. They got, they'll get again and say God selects his few. He regenerates them and then makes them new believe. But you know what? If you look in the Bible, you don't really have to look that deep. 
But God's sovereignty does not mean that His desire is always accomplished in man. You know what? God's sovereignty, God is strong enough to handle the free will of man. And now God can. Can He take away a free will? Yes. You know what? You could say, I'm going to have a will to cross the street, and God could kill you before you cross the street. Can God do that? Absolutely. But if I decide to go across the street, and, and I go across the street, does that make God not sovereign? Absolutely not. It doesn't make Him not sovereign. But we see that um, God, God will receive glory in the end, no matter what happens. However, His desire is not always accomplished in man. And it's not because He can't. It's just simply God has given man the free will. In Romans 10, 21, it says, But to Israel he saith, All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. God loves Israel. God still loves Israel. And God reaches out. But Israel rejected. And you know, one day we'll see in the end where the Bible says in Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved. That there will be a revival and the Jewish people will see that Jesus is their Messiah. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gather of her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. The invitation was open. God was willing to take them. To receive him. It wasn't no. You were appointed to wrath. Because I just hated you before the foundation of the world. We will take a verse out of Romans 9 and twist it to mean that. We'll talk about how Pharaoh hardened his heart, but that was God that hardened his heart. But you know what you see over and over? That the reason Israel was blinded in part was because of unbelief. And because of their unbelief, God then what blinded them in part. And then the salvation was poured upon the Gentiles. And then the purpose of Pharaoh's heart being hardened, who he hardened his heart first, he's the one that said, Who is the Lord that I should know him? And the reason Pharaoh's heart was hardened was not so there was only salvation for the elect, so to speak, but the Bible says in Romans 9, that His name and His glory would be proclaimed throughout the entire earth. Throughout the world. So that was an inclusive gospel. Not an exclusive gospel. God used the nations of Jacob and Esau to fulfill His will and then harden Pharaoh. But the purpose was so the gospel would be declared throughout the whole world and not just to the Jewish people. And so it was an expansion, not just to the elect, so to speak. Now, the Bible does call us elect. We don't need to shy away from the form of elect. The Bible says um, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God knows everything. You know, yes, God knows who His elect are. He knows who will get saved. But the gospel call is available to all. You know, another proof that, you know what, man has the choice. 
Okay, you know what the Calvinist wants to say? Man doesn't have a choice because we're totally depraved and mankind can't choose that which is right and stuff. But then you know what? God tells, tells His children in 1 Peter 1.16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Not every Christian lives holy. It's the choice that they make. God tells them what to do, but man has the choice. I'm sure there's many Christians you've seen that they don't, they're not holy. There may be times where you weren't holy. Christ did provide himself as a propitiation for all sins of the world. 1 John 2, 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You can't really get clearer than that. We know the Bible verse after verse, it does get clearer and clearer. But here, the Bible is very clear. Jesus didn't die for our sins only. Or as a Calvinist says, he did not only die for Calvinists. Or he did not only die, not every Calvinist says he only died for Calvinists. You know, I've had a Calvinist say to me, no, I believe you're saved. Um, you just don't know you were the elect yet. That you just don't know. Um, keep studying the Bible and you'll know that you were the elect. And that Reformed theology is filled with pride. Now we got chosen. Now they'll try to act like they'll spin it as, no, you know, I am humbled that God would have been choose me. You know, they'll spin it different ways. And again, you can't always just call every Calvinist the same as another Calvinist. You know what? There are some Calvinists, believe it or not, that are evangelistic. They just simply take the viewpoint as, yes, they're already pre-chosen, but God commanded us to go, so we are supposed to go. It doesn't really make sense, though, because if all those that are going to be born again are already going to be born again, why waste the time? Why risk our life on the fields? Why do all that? Now, some of them don't bring it to the, that logical conclusion. But the Bible again here says, He is the propitiation that He bore the wrath of God for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But He gave man a choice. Deuteronomy 30.19, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. He told him, gave him a choice. There's life, there's death, there's blessing, there's cursing. You know, it would be, if the Calvinist theology were true, you know, it would be really, it's all a game. It's all a show that we are simply puppets. That God tells us, okay, don't do this, and then God makes them do it. No, but the Bible says that, Satan, when you're tempted, say not that God tempted you. That God does not draw us into temptation. And the logical Calvinist goes to the point to where they say God is the offer of sin. Just blasphemy. God is not the offer of sin. He is holy. Isaiah 45, 22 says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. He said, Look unto me, and be ye saved. Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, um, choose you this day whom you will serve. Now, this isn't speaking about salvation, so to speak, but here we see a choice is made. Choose you this day whom you will serve. 
What are the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There was a choice given made. Romans 10, verse 8 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God have raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Again, it doesn't say thou shalt be saved so you could believe with your heart. Okay? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Over and over. Whosoever. That God is not a respecter of persons. That God doesn't show respect to this person and say, okay, this is the person I'm saying. This person I am not saying. He is the respecter of faith. Has someone trusted in Jesus? The Bible talks about those that are condemned, the world's condemned already because they have not believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're all condemned until we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now we covered the theological part. Let's just rejoice in that we've been adopted into God's family. You know, in regeneration, God gives us new spiritual life within in justification, God gives us a right legal standing before Him. By an adoption related to regeneration, but God makes us members of His family. The biblical teaching on adoption focuses more on the personal relationships that salvation gives us with God and with His people. Adoption is the act whereby he makes us members of his family. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That those that believe, God makes them part of his family. Now the Calvinists will use the terminology adoption to show that God sovereignly elects you. They say, if you were to adopt a child, okay, depending on if you get older, you were to adopt a child. Okay, you're making a choice, right? Okay, you're choosing a child. And then the Calvinist will say, well, since you chose that child, are you unjust because you did not choose this child? You did not choose that child? You did not choose the rest of the children. So are you unjust? And then they'll say, so God's not unjust if he chooses this one and does not choose this one. However, I bet if you could, if it was possible that everyone that needed a father, you would adopt all the children if you could. You know, you look at it this other way. Let's say there were two people drowning. Okay? And you came and you rescued one of them. And you try to rescue the other one, but it was too late. Were you unjust? 
what you could. You saved the one you could. You didn't make it to the other one. You saved one. But let's say you did this. There's two people dying. You rescued one, and you could save the other one, but you're like, oh, no, I don't want to save that one. <laughs> and you are unjust. You had an ability to save both, but you only saved one. You know, you'd be in trouble with the chorus, too, you know? And somehow, sometimes in liberal jurisdictions, sometimes you get away. There were um, kids laughing at a man drowning. And they end up not pushing charges against them. They said over, over the idea of, you know what, it's not against the law for someone not to save someone. Well, you know, you look at you know, people with their children, you know, someone neglects their child. There's issues, you know, the government's going to come after you for those kind of things, usually, in a good, a righteous, good um, government. But you know what, and I had a Calvinist tell me before, too. He told me and this other man, and he said, and he asked a question. So you uh, uh, say, that would be God unjust. So then is man unjust if he adopts a child and doesn't adopt the other? And the other man said, no, but if you could adopt them all, would you not? You know, God is not limited. God's grace is not limited. His hand is not shortened that he cannot save some. His hand is available to all. We see that he reached out to Israel. We see that he's reached out to Gentiles all throughout the New Testament. And many of them still reject him. Calvinist theology will teach irresistible grace. That if God shows you to be saved, you can't resist it. And you see, he would say you cannot resist the Holy Ghost. But then why did Stephen preach to the people that he preached the gospel to, and he said, "Ye stiff neck and um, hard heart, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost." They resisted God's work in their life, and so we've been adopted. And again, Jesus didn't die for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. And if anyone whosoever believes the gospel, he will bring into his family. Those who do not believe in Christ are not adopted into God's family. Ephesians 2.2 2 talks about being children of disobedience. Verse 3, children of wrath. Um, Jesus spoke about those that rejected him but called God their father. Christ said, ye are of your father the devil. John 8.44. The New Testament bears witness over and over that it's a special part of being part of the family of God. Um, the Bible talks about how believers are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so we're able to be part of the family of God. And when God adopts, He imparts His Spirit. William Barclay writes this, the Roman concept of adoption in his commentary on Ephesians. He said, when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they have never existed. And that is what God has done for us. We were absolutely held 
by the power of sin of the, and of this world and of Satan. We were children of the devil. God, through Jesus Christ, took us out of that family, adopted us unto himself, and that adoption wipes out all of our sins, all of our debts, all of our sin, our white clean. We are no longer children of the devil when we are in Christ. Privilege of adoption is that we could relate to God as children and Him as our Father. In Galatians 4, the Bible talks about how our hearts crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so now relate to God not as a slave relates to a slave master but as a child relates to his or her father it is true that God is our creator he is our judge he is our lord he is our master we are his servants he is our teacher he is our provider and protector and the one who providentially cares sustains for us but the role that is most intimate is the role that conveys the highest privilege of fellowship with God of all eternity is that he is our father and we are his child. He loves us. He understands us. Like as a father pity of his children, so the Lord pity of them that fear him. He takes care of our needs. He gives us many good gifts. He gives us an inheritance in heaven, which the Bible says, fade of not away. That it is incorruptible. It endures forever. That Jesus is our brother. That Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus said, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Many times in the scriptures, it refers to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. The concept of a church is that we are a family. We are a part of a new family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Various members of the family never should compete with each other or hinder one another in their efforts, but should encourage one another and be thankful for whatever good or whatever progress happens with another family member. For we're all contributing to the good of the family and the honor of God our Father. Ephesians 1, 4, 13 talks about how God predestines us unto adoption by and through Jesus Christ. Again, the Calvinists would cling to that verse. But they don't look at Romans 8 where Romans 8 tells us that we're waiting for our adoption. That our adoption is not yet complete. And if the believer is predestined unto the adoption that we are waiting for. By being children of God, we are led by His Spirit. Paul believed that there was a sense that we already enjoyed the sonship to God, but he looked to it as the first installment of a fuller kind of adoption in the future. And you know, the Bible talks about how God disciplines us. He corrects us. He wants to keep us on the right path. He says those that aren't His children, He doesn't discipline. Now, His judgment may come. He judges them as creator. But many times you see the wicked prosper because they're not God's child. But you do the same wickedness and you get a big spanking by God. God chastens you because you're part of His children. And we're to be like our Father in some ways. To be holy as He is holy. To walk as Christ walked. 
What a wonderful thing it is to be adopted. That God did not have to choose to die for us. He did not have to choose to save those who would believe on him. But he made a way, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. So thankful that to be adopted into God's family. And we don't have to be left as a child of the devil. To be following every vice, every wickedness, every evil thing. And in the face of wrath, it should be of God. Because Jesus already did that for us. You know, I was in a church before that um, Calvinist, one of the men struggled with alcohol. We often find a lot of reformed guys, they love their booze. They do. But this one guy, he struggled with alcohol, addiction, and we were trying to help him. And what he said after hearing, you know what, the Calvinist teaching over time in the church, said, well, maybe I'm just not one of his own. Maybe I'm just not chosen. Maybe I'm not supposed to be saved. That's why Calvinism is a heresy. Is there genuine believers that hold to that view? They're saved because they believe the gospel. They believe in salvation by grace through faith. They just believe in a system that works backwards. I'm thankful Jesus died for all. He can receive all. And that's why he said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then say, Only if you are the Lord, it shall be saved. Just go to the Lord in prayer. There are going to be Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to adopt us. That all we kind of do is have faith. That it wasn't by our works. It wasn't by a human generation. It wasn't simply by being born to some genealogy. But it's because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And him just saying to call upon him. To believe on him. And pray, Lord, if someone that doesn't know you is their Savior. And they would be saved. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be laborers into the harvest. And we will be a witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all things. In Jesus' name, amen.